At Midway USA, we know the AR-15 is one of the most popular rifles in modern American history. Known for its modularity and widespread use, it's often considered essential to any gun collection. The essential things you need to run an AR-15 are usually always in stock during shortages, things like magazines and 5.56 ammo. Whether you're looking to buy a new AR-15 or buy parts for your modern sporting rifle, log on and for just about everything for the outdoors, shop MidwayUSA.com. Fishing like a local isn't just about catching fish. It's about connecting with the environment and the people who call it home. It's about hearing the stories and traditions that have been passed down for generations and sharing unforgettable moments with the people you meet along the way. Fishing like a local is having an experience that stays with you forever. And with Fishing Booker, you can experience it too, no matter where you are. Discover your next adventure on Fishing Booker. Whether you're just looking to stay warm during a hunt or need maximum concealment, the clothing you wear can make or break a hunt. At MidwayUSA.com, we understand hunting clothing has come a long way with more meticulously crafted camo patterns, advanced scent control technologies, and weatherproof options to withstand the elements. Hunters have to wait until their favorite season, but shouldn't wait on gear, which is why MidwayUSA offers super-fast shipping. When you're ready for your next system, log on to MidwayUSA.com. From the nation's capital, this is the Fly Fishing Consultant Podcast with your host, Rob Snowett. This is episode 246 of the Fly Fishing Consultant Podcast. My name is Rob Snow White, and I'm pretty sure I've never met somebody with the same last name as me that was not directly related to me. This episode is called In Search of Coho Mojo, brought to you by Hatch Outdoors. This is a summary of my recent trip to New York in search of coho salmon. This tailwater makes it more unique than other salmon stock rivers along the Great Lakes, and don't let my talk of crowds and other things discourage you from experiencing this very unique fishery. And I'm gonna finish my podcast with my new theory about steelhead being the cuckoos of the fish world. Over the years, Hatch Outdoors has met thousands of anglers, attended dozens of shows and events, visited a ton of dealers, listened to the vice of hundreds of guides, and met some of the pioneers of our sport and traveled the globe fly fishing. Not too shabby for a couple of overgrown children from Southern California. Through it all, one question always comes up. How did it all begin? John Torok purchased what he thought was a high-end reel for a trip to the Eastern Sierras. It failed miserably within hours of fishing on his first day. John reached out to a business friend who was the only person that he knew whose products were machined. That friend suggested he call Danny Ashcraft. But instead of calling Danny, he drove over and walked in the front door. Danny wasn't home. He was out fishing in Idaho. What were the odds of finding a machine shop owner in San Diego who's also an avid fly fisherman on his very first try? When you want a product to work right, sometimes you have to build it yourself. And that's where Hatch Reels began. John and Danny discussed reels while fly fishing over Mexican beer, drinking fine tequila, great wine and tacos. They premiered their first reel, the 5 Plus, in 2005. Hatch reels are now industry standard. 
They're made in America by family-owned and operated companies since 2003. For more information, visit HatchOutdoors.com. Good morning from a beautiful day on the Salmon River of New York. It's October 9th, 2019. If you listen to the other episodes of the podcast, you heard me mention I didn't have much of an adventurous summer. So I decided to do a fall trip. My options were maybe drive down to the Carolinas, go up in the Appalachian Mountains, fly to IFTD in Denver, and then go up to the condo in Breckenridge, which was a little more costly. Or I could come up here and do something I've never really done, which is target coho salmon. So for the last couple of weeks, I've been tying up purple flies, intruders, buggers, some nymphs, purple jumbo johns, and I'm going to try and see what I can do to get away from some crowds during the salmon run and hook some fish. There's a couple people above me, a couple people below me here in the upper fly stretch. That is where Rob from Whitaker's suggested I fish today. And then we go back to my other plan of hiking in further tomorrow to a spot downriver where I should have everything to myself. I've got my Dana Design day pack loaded with provisions. I've got plenty of leader material, split shot, a spare rod. And I've just strung up my 10-foot 8 weight, a new Skagit head, my Hatch 7 Plus. I'm cooling off right now for my walk-in. And in a minute, I'm going to start swinging flies. I'm not here to target steelhead. I wouldn't mind a brown or a steelhead. Not too interested in king salmon. They'll just mess up all my gear. There's some bugs coming off. It's going to be about 65 degrees Fahrenheit today. It's partly cloudy. And I've got a whole stretch of the river, and the only sound you can hear are crickets and the water. I'll check in with y'all later. It's now Thursday morning, 9 a.m., and I want to tell you about yesterday. So I strung up my gear, tied on a big purple intruder. Right when you throw your fly in to get it wet so you can cast it out, that's when I hooked my first fish of the day. There was a small salmon or steelhead right in front of me. And the only way to tell them really up close is uh, steelhead have a white mouth and salmon have a black mouth. And I had the fish on. It was basically landed when I hooked it and went out in the current, didn't fight much, and popped off before I could even land it. So I officially finally hooked a fish on an OPST swing hook, but I lost it. So no photos. And I worked that water till about two o'clock in the afternoon maybe even three or four i don't know but it was a long day of casting it was a little chilly out i was a little underdressed being that it was 90 degrees in virginia last week and now it's in the 40s right now up here there's plenty of steam coming off the water there were a couple of people upriver hooking into salmon it was at the exact point where the water was only about five feet wide so the salmon didn't really have a choice but to go through there don't know if they were hooking them in the mouth or not. Likewise, at the bottom of the lower fly zone, there are people hooking fish in the really narrow pinch water where they only had a few feet of access to swim upstream. These salmon didn't even want to move. They were basically just holding in that point. I don't know if they were in the mouth or foul hook because a fish in the mouth is usually going to fight. And these things did not move. And they put them on a stringer and kept them, which I don't think you're allowed to do up there. So after I called it quits at the top of the lower fl uh, upper fly zone, 
then decided I'm going to move downstream and check out the lower fly zone before I head back into town. When I got there, I'm definitely the youngest person. It's all pensioners. And they're all just sitting around. No one's got a smile on their face. It was pretty slow. Fished there for another hour or so. Then the sun went behind the trees and I called it quits. Went into town. Picked up some supplies at all seasons so I could tie some more purple intruders. I got some barred zonker strips. Went over to the grocery store, got some provisions. And then I sat in the car, drank a beer. Used my cooler as a tying table and cranked out some intruders and some sucker spawns. Sucker spawns are on salmon heavy hooks. Watched a little bit of Barry on HBO and rolled over to Ronald's place and got the number one Big Mac meal. And then I turned on the Nats game for the NLDS game five. And I fell asleep watching the game around 9.30 when they were down by three. Wake up this morning, I start getting texts from the neighbors from last night, Grand Slam. So the Nats won during the NLCS against St. Louis. And I find myself out here super early in the morning. The spot I hiked to is it's crowded with fly anglers. No one's hooking up, but there's fish jumping. I'm at the bottom. I was hoping to have a spot all to myself, but I don't think that's even possible on this river. So we've got a narrow piece of water here with some riffles, and I'm just going to swing streamers and some egg patterns on this beautiful bluebird day. It's going to get up to 65 degrees. Going to try and meet up with Dirty Bill today, and we'll just see how things go. Maybe tonight I'll get myself a nice big meatloaf mashed potatoes meal, fuel myself up for my last day up here tomorrow, and then back in D.C. on Saturday, I've got a two-hour client for stripers in the morning, then a group of 10 after that, and then I've got a couple clients on Sunday, a couple clients on Monday, and then beer tie Monday night. chilly Friday morning. It's October 11th. There's steam coming off the water right now. Don't see anybody hooking up. I got a good night's sleep. I crashed really hard last night. Very tired being on my feet with no breaks. I haven't walked three plus miles and then being in the sun the whole day. I got up early this morning, came over to the trestle pool, geared up, swapped out my spools, and I hike downstream a little bit and here I am the sun has not come over the trees yet it's rather chilly tying on my second fly in five minutes I tied up some chartreuse buggers some pink buggers and some pink and chartreuse egg sucking leeches last night and now I'm swinging through a bend in the river hoping I can land at least one fish before it's time to make the call and go home there's one salmon on a stringer in front of me, so at least I know somebody's been catching fish today. So I spent the last hour fishing a big riffle. Not getting anything. I've been swinging buggers, three loop pink ladies, been throwing some pheasant tails, kind of switching over to try and target a steelhead that might be in there to no luck. But the sun now is just coming over the trees. So hopefully it's going to start warming up. There's a guide below the riffle. He has set up a campfire. So when the wind is right, you get to smell campfire smoke and not all the rotten salmon on the shoreline. You know when you're driving down the road and you just smell death, you know there's a dead deer or raccoon or something? It kind of permeates all the way up and down this river. 
If the fishing's lousy today, at least the leaves are changing colors mixed in with all the other maples and oak trees and alders. The sound of the water. I pretty much got this stretch to myself right now, except that group below me. But I'm burning daylight right now, and I'm running out of time to land some. So I'm going to switch up some flies. I just broke off the three-loop pink lady. I'm going to move upstream a bit and try and fish the bend in this spot of the water and see if that produces something. I've dropped down to eight-pound tippet, and the guy above me has got a fish on right now with a spinning rod. That's it for fishing. I gave myself till one o'clock so I'd have time to go do some shopping, get some coffee, change out of my layers because I know it's going to be 80 degrees when I get back down to Virginia. I hooked one fish and that was five minutes ago, right in the mouth and it came up head shaking and spit my pink beadhead woolly bugger right out at me. The guy above me was cleaning up on fish. He hooked in a ton today fly fishing but his fly was just chartreuse egg yarn tied to a hook there was no pattern to it just straight up yarn his buddy was fishing fake eggs and hooked a couple and then a couple people downstream hooked some but other than that it's pretty slow the weather's absolutely beautiful it's got to be 65 degrees bluebird sky i'm glad to be off the river now walking upstream get away from the smell of the dead salmon I went through my flies today, tried a little bit of everything, very color, size, pattern, flash to dull, played with split shot, adjusted leader length, but nothing really came to fruition. It's a beautiful spot. I took some pictures of it. I might even post on a blog if I ever post a blog post again. There was a big rock in the middle where the river was narrow, so they would congregate a little bit to the left, which was towards us and a little bit on the other side. And that was about it. All those fish were hooked between us and the rock on our side of the river. There's a kid throwing spinning gear just to keep himself entertained while his dad fishes. They're from Utica. He's also a steelhead angler, which I find myself more of a steelhead angler than a salmon angler. So I got my salmon jones on. May or may not come up and do this again. And let's go see what else I can find around town. I want to really see the difference in seasons because I have not been up here in so long. How's it going? Go take my spot. So I just want to see if the crowds are as bad as I remember them. I'm walking up now. The river is blindingly reflecting light on me. There's people in it. The guy that's wet waiting, I don't know where he went. There's a guy this morning when everyone else was bundled up and he was wet waiting. Put the microphone away and let's go see what we can find in town and describe to y'all what that's like up here. Those who have made it up here, but not during the salmon season. The lower fly zone looks completely crowded. There are people about every 20 feet. There are chairs set up. There's kids playing. It's just crowded. And this is Friday afternoon, so I'm expecting tomorrow to be absolutely nuts. And there was a kid fishing right above the bridge with an egg sack and split shot on his fly line and he didn't really seem to take the hint that he can't do that there so 
I don't know if those were his parents sitting on shore or what, but I'm sure someone's going to pull him aside and DEC might have a little talk with him. So now I've gone to Melinda's. I got some stuff for Monday's beer tie. And I'm going to head into town, take a look. Let's go see what kind of craziness we can find. Down here at the ballpark, the clamshed pool, you've got pop-up tailgate tents. You've got RVs, pickup trucks. It's like these folks are, they got a propane grill out. It is quite the busy scene down here. Looks like somebody might even be selling barbecue. Ben's Dogs. There's a lot of people gearing up. Yeah, there's some potholes in this road. Let's go check out a little bit downriver. All right, let's take out the town pool. It's actually not as busy as I thought it would be here. There's actually plenty of room down here for people to fish. I'm gonna turn around, go get some food. I'm gonna roll out of town. That's it for me, folks. Trip's over. So how did those salmon get into the Great Lakes that I was able to drive north a couple hours to fish for? So the Erie Canal was built last, I guess two centuries ago now. Alewives from the Hudson River were able to swim up that into the Great Lakes systems and establish themselves pretty much throughout the Great Lakes. These alewives and herring being mostly saltwater organisms were not allowed to feed and metabolize in their natural environment and thus they started to have population declines they started to die off in mass in the 1960s so biologists decided to stock salmon in the great lakes to eat them knowing that they probably wouldn't reproduce and take over the entire great lake system which is why the majority if not all of them now are artificially propagated from hatcheries so every fall, these salmon will begin their migration up the rivers that feed into the Great Lakes, thinking that it's their natal waters of the Pacific coast and that the Great Lakes themselves are the oceans. They don't feed on the same organisms, so the flesh does not look the same and probably doesn't taste the same. I don't know. I don't eat fish. This upcoming concert season will be all about the boots, and Tecovis is your stop for the best in Western style. Tecovis has seasonal and limited edition offerings this spring and summer, including men's and women's boots, apparel, hats, bags, and more. All Tecovis boots are made by hand in a time-honored tradition with timeless styles that are always on trend. And Tecovis has first wear comfort with little to no break-in period. It's hard to find this level of comfort paired with this level of style. Stop by your local Tacova store, have a complimentary drink or two, that's WCB style, and shop new styles. The smell of fresh leather and friendly staff are at your service. Many stores even have leather custom branding to make your boots truly personalized. And with regular live music and events, there's no in-store experience like it. If you can't make it into a store, just visit tecovas.com. That's T-E-C-O-V-A-S.com. They offer free shipping on all boots, as well as free returns and exchanges, and ship right to your door. Go to tecovis.com and find your new favorite pair of boots today. So it gives anglers a chance to go catch large fish and see large fish that if you're not traveling to the Pacific Northwest, gives a chance to see them up close, which is something that I really enjoy.
the environment just doesn't seem to have adapted to those extra nutrients since the salmon have only been there for a couple hundred years. It's not the salmon forest that Kayla and I talked about two podcasts ago. And while you're up there, you've got people from all over. There are people from other countries. There are people from all over the U.S., mostly people from the New England area. It's going to be a lot of Pennsylvania, Vermont, Maine, New Hampshire, New York license plates with a lot of Pennsylvania mixed in. I only saw one other Virginia plate. I don't think I saw any Maryland or D.C. plates. But while you're up there, you see all different skill levels of anglers, be it fly, spin, float fishing. You'll see some crazy things up there. I mentioned a kid had split shot on his actual fly line. You will see a lot of crazy shenanigans that you don't normally see on your home waters, mostly just due to the mass amount of people that show up there. You also see all sorts of budgets. There are people out there with the fanciest gear. There are people out there completely on a budget, and they're all doing the same thing, and everyone gets along. You don't see anybody making fun of somebody else for not having the most expensive or high-end gear. The salmon anglers do get a bad rap up there. That's kind of what I wanted to go see. The last time I was up there, and my first time fishing for salmon was absolutely crazy. It was shoulder to shoulder and there were fish everywhere. I wish I had the gear and knew what I did now. Back then, would have caught a lot more fish. The crowds do bring with them litter, noise, parking lots completely filled up, more boats on the water, more monofilament on the shorelines, coffee cups floating down river, cigarette butts all over the shoreline. I don't know why smokers can't just pack them out with them, but it's kind of gross. And it comes with the territory of more people up there. You're just going to have more people doing their thing. You cannot really avoid it. And those salmon anglers do really bring in the majority of the income for some of those local shops all at once in a huge amount, which is great for the local economy. I had a great time regardless of catching fish or not. I didn't land anything really except that first fish, just throwing my fly in, wetting it, and looking down, going to cast it. And by going to cast it, I set the hook in that fish's mouth. It was great to get some fresh air being outside for pretty much three days straight, getting to see bluebird skies with a full moon, seeing the steam rising on the water in the mornings, the trees. It's an absolute beautiful river. And when you go up there, be sure that you're going to go check out the hatchery and the Salmon River Falls. They're both on the same road. You can do a quick in and out, less than 30 minutes to go do both of those. The waterfall is very big. And when the leaves are changing, it's definitely something you want to go check out. Before you go, you want to check water levels. I use River Boss. The waters were low, 400 plus CFS at Pineville which is sort of the middle of the river. It's not a long river because there's a dam about 9, 15, 9 or 15 miles upriver. So the fish definitely don't have far to go. And it's amazing how much they'll atrophy and start rotting being in that river for such a short distance. These fish were built to go a couple hundred miles upriver, and they're not doing that. The low levels also mean that you can target fish in certain areas that is not the most sporting. And a lot of those fish, when they were hooked, were just dead weight, and you couldn't even tell if people were hooked on rocks. The fish were not moving, and you can hook them on their sides and their fins by accident. I even brought a fish in just by dragging it in, and I was able to get three of my flies out of its dorsal fin and one out of its back. 
you will see fish go by with all sorts of tackle in them, which makes me very wary ever to grab a fish that someone's trying to land or grab it when it's in the net without thoroughly checking to make sure there are not hooks sticking out of it. The crowds were not as bad as I expected. There were definitely more people in steelhead season. I'm used to seeing big empty fields this time of year. They're full of RVs and campers. There were campers in the parking lot. The smell of smoking salmon and campfires was all up and down the river. There were piles of garbage behind the hotel where people just drank beer, left coffee cups, waiter boxes, whatever, just assuming that the people at the hotel were going to take care of it for them, which is kind of a lousy, scummy thing to do. I was really surprised to see how far people were willing to drag those heavy salmon out of the river. Some people were just walking up and down with one-gallon Ziploc bags full of orange eggs. I don't know if those were to cure and eat or if those were for making egg sacks and floating. That's not my type of fishing, so I don't know. But it's very cool to be able to see a fish that big, that close. Sometimes you've got gigantic, full-grown Chinook or King Salmon right at your feet swimming by you. I'll post some videos up on YouTube. It's really cool to be able to get higher up and look down and see the fish when the sun is shining on them, either from a higher vantage point. At one day, there was a stack of rocks in the river right on the shoreline, and I was able to get on top of that and look down. And while I was doing that, I was able to see where the fish were holding, which was behind big rocks, before they'd move upstream. So you go back to the podcast on structure and think about where fish are going to be, find that type of water, and then fish that type of water that you know the fish will be holding in. It was really cool to see the females shudder and then all of a sudden just a four foot section of river just turn bright orange as if somebody lit a smoke bomb underwater. The amount of eggs that would just come out in one big boosh was incredible to be able to see up close. It just how bright orange that water was. And up and down the river, there are eggs all over the place, either from people picking up fish and the eggs dripping out or from fish dropping eggs. So you see them at different stages of freshness to completely dead eggs. Some may or may not be fertilized, probably not viable. But you get to see those and then work on your fly selections or fly tying to match the hatch, which is the eggs that some of the other fish might be feeding on or that the salmon themselves might just be randomly picking up for who knows why. It was nice to be able to hang out on cold water where I could see some nice aquatic entomology. There were caddisflies and mayflies. Saw a couple crane flies, and there were adult stoneflies coming off the water as well. And some midges that I just can't identify, but are pretty small. So when you do end up hooking a fish, sometimes you don't know if it's foul hooked or not, just on the way the fish moves. There are so many fish in the water, so many fish with their mouths open, you have no idea if you snagged a fish in a body part, the extremities, tails, fins, back, sides, or if your fly just happened to swim across its mouth while it was open and get caught in there. So that's called flossing. And I don't know if my fish actually, the ones I hooked, actually bit out of aggression or were trying to move something or if I just flossed them. I consider it unsportsmanlike to fight a foul hooked fish. You should break those off. And then it's just kind of a rain on your parade when you find out. You're not going to find out if it happened. But if they do get flossed, it's just not as cool as if one actually went and targeted your flies. Apparently, I was two weeks too late for cohos. The only coho I saw was a dead one floating by on Friday with a black egg-sucking leech in its mouth. I was unable to hook a fish 
behind a female, either a male being aggressive, thinking that your fly is trying to eat the eggs that they're trying to fertilize, or if a fish was eating macro invertebrates or eggs that were being kicked up by a female making a red or when she was spawning. It didn't happen. And there are definitely anglers in back channels and creeks and knee-deep water, whether they are ethically fishing or not, I couldn't tell, but it seemed little unsportsmanlike to go up to fish in crystal clear knee-deep water, basically a, a baby pool, and try and swing a fly in front of them to bite. I did it a couple times. It, I lost interest, but it was really cool to see fish that big in water that narrow. I'm assuming a lot of those people were just trying to swing a fly into an open mouth and saying that the fish ate it. I don't know. The flies I brought up, I definitely thought were a little wrong, I brought up specifically coho. I was trying to get some coho mojo. I had steelhead nymphs, my typical boxes. I had buggers, estas flies. I had intruders and egg flies. You name it. Nothing really worked better than others. I had some really cool all silver woolly buggers that may or may not have worked better in the upper fly zone. I don't really know. I didn't bring enough food with me for the river bank during the day. I had some great beef udon noodles from Wegmans. If you got a Wegmans near you, check that out. And I was definitely too tired on Wednesday and Thursday to go to a sit-down meal, which is why I went with one of the three to four fast food options that I could just grab and go and eat in my car, tie flies, and watch some baseball. Curious thing to me was in the lower fly zone, and if this is your first Salmon River podcast of mine that you're listening to, the top stretches of the river are fly fishing only. You've got one section from the Altmar Bridge up to a section below the hatchery. And then you've got maybe three quarters to a mile of water that is the hatchery where fish are allowed to do their natural spawning unmolested by anglers and then enter the hatchery. And then the hatchery water ends and you've got another stretch called the upper fly zone, which is narrow and got big boulders and waterfalls, really pretty water. The lower fly zone had piles of dead par-marked rainbow trout on the inside of the bend. And I don't know if those were killed by salmon defending eggs and their nests and their reds going after them. Because when the salmon start to move upriver, their jaws morph into having these giant canine-like teeth. So maybe these little fish were all killed because they were chomped on by bigger salmon I have no idea. I saw a couple of these downriver, way below the trestle pool. I thought that was rather curious. They were all the same length. They all had par marks, but not a whole lot of damage actually on the fish. And there's all types of quote unquote fly fishing. You'll see fly rods with monofilament on the reels, which allows the anglers to quickly get through the water column because there's less mass and diameter to the mono line, except you can't really cast it too far. I saw lots of split shot on those rigs. You just really can't cast a real fly fishing cast if you've got that much weight on. One guy who was hooking fish on Thursday morning, I asked what he was using, and his quote was a sharp hook and a piece of sponge on a fly rod. Whether he was trying to snag them or just getting them to bite, I don't know. It was weird seeing people wet wading when it was that cold, but I prefer to fish the fly stretches, just you don't have... People with egg sacks and bait and you could hang out with your own type of fly fishing people. It was strange watching a woman 
fight a King Salmon reeling backwards with her reel upside down. Like I said, you see everything on this river. I felt like most fish that were hooked were probably flossed or snagged than fair hooked. Not my thing. When I hook a steelhead, it's pretty much always in the mouth, usually in the corner or in the roof where it's gone out of its way to bite things. My gear, I'm going to have to say my new Hatch 7 Plus was awesome. It, I took so much extra measures to make sure that did not get dinged or scratched when I was putting my rod down on shore. I even put my sweatshirt down for me to put the reel on. There are no micro gaps in it where other reels I've fished. You can have monofilament get caught in the different types of handles or in between the spool and the reel. There's also running line that can get caught in those. None of that happened with the seven. I was able to easily and smoothly adjust my drag with my left hand reaching under and around the reel while I was fighting. I'm a right-handed caster. So I was fighting some salmon. I was able to adjust my drag. It's absolutely brilliantly smooth. That reel is an engineering feat that I am going to absolutely take care of. I cannot wait to fish that for steelhead in a month. I used a premium running line, which fell apart. I don't know if I stepped on it, but the coating all fell off. And when I got home, I must have recycled the box. So I'm just going to send that to fly vines. Corkers, big spikes are an absolute must up there. Be sure you tighten them before you go. I did end up breaking my 10 foot eight weight on the last day. Just lifting it up, it was hooked on a rock or some monofilament. Two minutes before I was fighting a king salmon, and it didn't break. So one of those weird things. I used a budget Skagit head I purchased online that Thomas Perkins found for me. Didn't see a single steelhead, didn't see a single brown. Also living where I am, I'm not used to being around all white people. There's a very big lack of diversity up there from what I'm used to living in Northern Virginia. I didn't really think that the crowds were as bad as I thought they were gonna be during the week. I ideally wanted to go the next week, but the wife's got to go to an Air Force base for work, so I can't take my kid out of school to go with me, and there's not room for two of us to sleep in the car, so I went the week earlier. So if I had waited another week, there probably would have been more fish in the river. Can't, you know, hindsight's 2020. So I don't know. And one of the stranger things was leaving. I decided to go get a Coke and some fries at Ronald's place on my way out, the Golden Arches. And there was a woman with her son who's got to be in his late 20s. And this woman was definitely past viable reproductive age. And she had a bit of a ponza. And the woman behind the register said, congratulations. And the woman's like, what for? She goes, on your pregnancy. And the woman's like, I'm not pregnant. I'm just fat. But thank you. And I was just like, wow, it does not get more awkward than that. And here's the final thing I want to leave you with. After talking to Kayla doing research on next week's guest, watching some David Suzuki videos on YouTube, I've come up with my own theory that steelhead are the cuckoos of the fishing world. If you don't know what a cuckoo is, it lays its egg in another bird's nest and has another bird expend its energy and resources feeding and raising its young so they don't have to expend all that energy. So what a salmon does is it swims up river, it drops eggs, it kicks up food, it lays a ton of eggs, and then it dies. So all those nutrients from the salmon that are coming from the Pacific Ocean are 
reinforcing the environment and aiding to all the growth of the stream and its surroundings. And steelhead don't contribute to that. They take advantage of it. Their young take advantage of the nutrients that the salmon brought with them after their deaths. The adult steelhead not only feed on the dead flesh of salmon, they feed on their eggs. They feed on what they dislodge while making their reds. And they also feed on young salmon. And then their young are going to feed on all the aquatic nutrients and algaes, micro, macro, invertebrates that were able to grow based on the nutrients those salmon brought into the river from the ocean. Now, whether steelhead evolved to do this, I don't know. It's just some of those things I've been thinking about. Is it some sort of symbiotic relationship? I don't know. But they get to live year after year where these salmon are only going up there once and having an expiration date and dying. And then the steelhead take full advantage of that. That's it for the Salmon River podcast brought to you by Hatch Reels. We're going to send this off to producer Jason. And we're going to have some more interviews coming up in the next few weeks for those that enjoy the interviews over the classroom-style lectures. Thank you for allowing me to entertain you about my recent trip up north. And I am going to go start tying some flashback pheasant tails. Thank you for joining us for the Fly Fishing Consultant Podcast. For more information or to contact Rob, please go to www.robsnowwhite.com. This podcast is brought to you by Freestone Productions at freestoneproductions.com. Brave anglers search for the one they call king, but who will take his throne? Tune in to Waypoint TV's Battle for Silver, Saturday, May 18th from 12 to 6 p.m. Eastern. Presented by Abyss Battery, Waypoint TV. A life that has the stories to back it. A life to be proud of. It's a Winchester life. Yeah, baby. 6-8 Western. Oh, mule there, baby. Right there. Tune in every Tuesday at 7 p.m. Eastern on Waypoint TV. Don't miss Mondays with Into the Blue. Brought to you by Academy Sports and Outdoors. Every Monday night from 7 to 10 p.m. Eastern on Waypoint TV. The destination for outdoor entertainment.